It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Friday here on the North Shore Drive podcast, the Steelers have two new offensive coaches. We'll talk about Zach uh, Azani and Tom Arth and what they bring to the table in the in the Steelers' offense. That, the NFL awards with T.J. Watt, did he get snubbed with Miles Garrett getting Defensive Player of the Year? And what the Steelers could learn from both the teams in the Super Bowls, all that here and more on the North Shore Drive podcast. Chris Carter, Brian Batko, let's get into it. You are now listening to the North Shore Drive Podcast, a show on all things Pittsburgh sports from the writers of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, hosted by Christopher Carter. Hello and welcome to the North Shore Drive podcast from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. We, I'm your host, Chris Carter, here with Brian Batko, one of our great Steelers beat writers here at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Find all our written work at post-gazette.com. Find our podcasts on your favorite podcasting uh, app, app and on YouTube, like this video if you enjoy it, subscribe to this YouTube channel to get all of your daily content from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, as well as our Monday, Wednesday, Friday episodes of the North Shore Drive podcast, which is sponsored by Mike's Beer Bar, the best bar in all of Pittsburgh. Go to Mike's Beer Bar today. There were 500 different available beers. 300 of those beers are local. 80 of those local beers available on tap at any point in time. They got new ones switching in and out. More on that later. Brian, we've been wondering when the Steelers would would, would make some moves on the coaching staff that would go the coaches behind Arthur Smith, and now we finally have some answers they have added now at the wide receiver coach position, Zach Azani, who comes by way of the Jets and before that the Broncos, and Tom Arth as the quarterback's coach, who was a pass game specialist for or pass, yeah, pass game specialist for the for the Chargers the last two seasons with Justin Herbert. Um, though it seems that he's just the quarterback's coach for the Steelers, and that uh, the pass game coordinator is still something that could be added to added to if they really wanted to, if they wanted to. What was your read on these two guys specifically being the additions here? Because they're not older coaches, but you know, I think I think Arth is a little bit different because he's just been in the league for two years. But Azani's a guy who's been in the NFL for quite some time. And you look at it, the Bears in 2017, the Broncos from 2018 to 2022, and the Jets last year. Uh, what, did, what did these uh, signings tell you? Told me that the Steelers definitely valued experience and, you know, guys who have sort of been around in the league to this point. Um, you know, like you said, we'll, we'll get into Arth, but just starting with Azani, um, you know, he's he's not a big name or anything like that. Not a notable former player, which you often see at those wide receivers coach positions. You know, Frisman Jackson, who's out played in the NFL. He had sort of that natural, uh, you know, respect quotient about him. But Azani, somebody who's just kind of worked his way up from the college ranks. And then, yeah, you mentioned 
uh, the three NFL teams that he's coached with. Seems like he's well-respected around the league. You know, I think the biggest question for that specific unit within the Steelers is, is he going to be somebody that Deontay Johnson and George Pickens respect and take coaching from? Because I, I think despite being a former pro himself, I don't know that Frisman Jackson always had those two guys on the right page. We, we know about the issues with effort and intensity <clears throat> at times last season. So Azani has been around big-time wide receivers. He's been in uh, receiving cores where there is kind of a blurred line between who's the one and, and who's the two. I was reading a little bit about his time in Denver where uh, I think it was you know Cortland Sutton uh, was there and, and Emmanuel Sanders was there. Then Jerry Judy came in a little bit later too. So um, so he's been in these kind of rooms. Uh, he, he seems like he's a good coach who knows what he's doing. Uh, that's that's good. I don't know that there's uh, you know an obvious connection to Arthur Smith, but a lot of these guys, when they're at coaching conventions and meetings and, and just sort of being in the same orbit as each other for a long time, they get to know each other. They talk about each other. They know who they like and who they respect. So uh, I, I imagine that's... Uh, you know, part of the reason why he's here is kind of interesting to me that he's making a lateral move from the Jets to the Steelers. Makes you wonder, was he going to be out in New York? Um, but he coached Garrett Wilson there. And last I checked, Garrett Wilson's pretty darn good. I guess you could argue he's, uh, if you watched him at Ohio State, he didn't need a whole lot of fine tuning or technique coaching. But either way, he's somebody else who's on Azani's resume. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I noticed about Azani was, He's worked with so many different kinds of wide receivers. Like he's worked with Cortland Sutton, who was a top pick, who you know went from being just a, maybe a guy people were saying, "Oh, is he going to be a bust?" to being a Pro Bowler and then getting a big contract. He's also coached guys like Tim Patrick, who were you know an undrafted guy who eventually turned into a pretty good receiver for the Broncos for a couple of years. Um, so he's coached different level of guys. He's coached, like you said, Garrett Wilson. Um, he has a you know a, a wild, uh, not a wild, a wide array of different types of receivers that he's coached. Coach Antonio Brown in college. Granted, that was a very long next, time ago now. but 07 to 09, him and Antonio Brown's time at Central Michigan perfectly aligned. I was going to say that. So he's seen everything as far, I think, as far as types of receivers he has to coach. And I think that that's the asset that he brings to the table with, with both dealing with Deontay Johnson, a veteran, and George Pickens, a younger veteran. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked if the Steelers added a rookie you know, wide receiver in this draft class. So, um, and you also have Calvin Austin trying to find his way. So I think experience, like you said, was of prime importance. And the Steelers got a guy who, also, interestingly, when I was looking at it, this this is a guy who survived three head coaches in Denver. When you look at his time, he got there when when uh, I think it was Va- uh, Vance Joseph was the head coach. He was hired by Vance Joseph. Joseph was fired. He was kept on through Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio was fired. He, he he kept on through Nate Hackett. And then when Nate Hackett was was fired, he went with Nate Hackett to the Jets. Um, and I thought that was pretty interesting. You you know, oftentimes when there's a whole upheaval of a staff. Position coaches go too, and he did not. And I think maybe that says something about what he, what he, how much the, those guys believed him in, in his receiver room. Well, was it? Uh, it was those 2022 Broncos that I think Sean Payton called that like the worst coaching job of all time in the NFL by by Nathaniel Hackett in his lone mm-hmm. season as a head coach. So if you put any stock into that, you know, Zach Azani was was on that staff, but obviously that's uh, you know it's not quite that simple. Or reductive, but uh, either way, I mean, it's he's somebody who it's a nomadic uh, job title, a position coach in the NFL for the most part, or college football 
for that matter. But you're right. He did have some staying power in Denver. And then, you know, last year with the Jets, uh, maybe they felt the need to make some changes offensively. But that just kind of became a dumpster fire once Aaron Rodgers went down in week one. So uh, I was just watching some clips of, of Azani mic'd up over the years. Uh, seems like your classic position coach, a very uh, intense guy, but good rapport with the players too. And uh, a little side note, uh, there was a story on him in The Athletic a few years back, and he mentioned that one of his favorite wide receivers coaches around the league is the late Daryl Drake, mm. uh, who was with the Steelers, of course, uh, you know, his sudden and, and tragic passing in 2019, and that was Deontay Johnson's guy. I mean, he was so uh, heartbroken when that happened, and uh, you know, I'm sure that that'll be some common ground for those two, given their love for, for Daryl Drake. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Let's talk real quick about Tom Arth the quarterback's coach that, they, that they've hired. Not as much of a track record for him in the NFL. He was the head coach at Akron for three seasons, head coach at Chattanooga, you know, came up at John Carroll. So smaller schools uh, there in college football before the Chargers gave him a shot as their pass game specialist. Um, and I thought that was an interesting move on, on, on the Chargers to go get that kind of a guy. But Get, bringing him in brings him someone who's worked with Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert has put up, you know, solid numbers uh, the, 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 past, the past few years. Um, the last two years, the, the Chargers offense this year, it wasn't too, wasn't too good. They ranked 21st in points. But the year before that, they ranked 13th in points, 9th uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, in yards. They were able to move the ball. And I think everyone kind of recognizes, like, hey, like, Herbert's something there. They have a lot of other problems there. And they were also top three in passing that year. So um, looking at Arth, I think this is a, a different kind of a voice to add to the room there. Well, he and Brandon Staley coached together way back in the day at John mm-hmm. Carroll. So that was the Chargers connection for those two. Everything I hear and and sort of know about Tom Arth is that he's a really sharp guy, probably did very well in the interview process here with the Steelers to fill this most important position, really, uh, you know, on any staff, but particularly their staff with a third-year quarterback who you're trying to get the most out of and, and see progress. And let's just be honest, if uh, if Kenny Pickett doesn't take it there, you're going to want Tom Arthur to, to work with probably another young quarterback sooner than later. So um, that's, that is a, uh, a key role uh, for a lot of NFL teams these days is that quarterback's coach. It also kind of serves – as a launching pad for a lot of the, uh, you know, first steps to offensive coordinator, then potentially head coaches down the line. So, uh, you know, he's been around, um, like you said, more so in the college game, kind of was on the, you know, beginning of this latest trend of coaches going from the college ranks to the pros. Uh, so he was the the head man at a few different stops and, and dealt with all the, uh, you know, ups and downs that come with being the head coach of a program, recruiting, um, you know, on-field uh, stuff, off-field issues. Now he just gets a chance to focus on football, and I think you'll you'll probably see the, the type of sharp offensive mind who spent some time behind Peyton Manning uh, as a backup with the Colts. So uh, that's, that's probably what you're getting out of Arth, who, uh, you know, it's going to be paramount for him to forge a good relationship with Kenny Pickett and uh, based on what I know about those two guys, I think they'll be able to do that quite seamlessly. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what they what they're able to put together with these new guys on staff. When we come back, <clears throat> we're going to talk about the awards night that was uh, Cam Hayward finally getting the elusive Walter Payton Manning Award uh, for man of the, uh, Walter Payton Manning Walter Payton uh, Man of the Year Award. There we go. 
Um, but also, of course, what everyone wants to talk about, TJ Watt and Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett getting the defensive player of the year. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break here on the North Shore Drive podcast, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. But first, I want to remind you this show is brought to you by Mike's Beer Bar, the best bar in all of Pittsburgh. Go to Mike's Beer Bar today. They have over 500 different available beers. 300 of those beers are from the local area. 80 of those local beers are available on tap. And when you go to Mike's Beer Bar, 80 of those local beers, when we're talking about the ones you can get on tap, they're rotating new ones in and out all the time. So you can always experience new bars freshly poured from their taps, or new, new, new beers from different breweries from across the western Pennsylvania area. They're do, they do amazing things there as well as have amazing food, like their steak on a stone meal. It's, it's Mike's Beer Bar, the best bar in all of Pittsburgh. So go to Mike's Beer Bar and get your sports fix and experience the best bar in Pittsburgh. When you get there, tell them Chris sent you. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Back here in the North Shore Drive podcast from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Chris Carter, Brian Batko, talking all things Steelers. Okay, Brian, let's talk about the awards night. And there is a lot of hoopla right now going on from Steelers fans. And, uh, you know, I think that there's there's a, there's a lot of justification behind hoopla when you get Miles Garrett winning Defensive Player of the Year over T.J. Watt, despite T.J. Watt having five more sacks, six more quarterback hits, two more tackles for loss, scoring a defensive touchdown, breaking up passes, it, you know, getting an inter- interception, pressuring the quarterback uh, by a much higher rate, uh, you know, 85 total pressures to 76 if you consider uh, sports information systems. Pro Football Reference has it 13 more pressures. Um I, I I think that there's it's it's an interesting topic to to go over why something like this happened because it would be different if Miles Garrett had like one or two less sacks than TJ Watt and did all these other things on top of that and like their stats were jumbled up in two different things but when you look down across the board the the only thing that you can give Miles Garrett is that according to Pro Football Focus and just their stats when you look at others that that he has a better pass rush productivity rate which is a stat that they kind of come up with on their own but like I subscribe to sports information systems and they even have TJ Watt pressuring the quarterback more often winning in pass rush stats stats more often um it, it seems like the whole argument for Miles Garrett comes from these stats that come from one outlet that provides advanced data on the NFL and I don't see it coming from anywhere else. Would would do, do you feel like there's more logic behind the whole Miles Garrett argument than other than those numbers that that keep getting provided whenever this discussion comes up? Yeah, I mean, I think it is it, <clears throat> it is a contextual thing too, and you know, you can't just use numbers for for everybody who's going to say stats don't lie. You can go talk to Cam Hayward about the position that he plays and why. You know, he says stats often do lie because you need to know what his responsibilities are on a given play. You need to know, is he being doubled or even triple teamed because of how disruptive he is? Now, that's not quite the same comparison of a D tackle uh, to an outside linebacker. Miles Garrett is an edge rusher as well, but slightly different alignments. He's got his hand in the ground for the most part. TJ Watt is standing up rushing. And here's what I always say to this, Chris. 
would I have vo- voted TJ Watt for AP Defensive Player of the Year? Yes, I would have. I have a PFWA vote. I used it on TJ Watt. He didn't win the award from that outlet either. But I acknowledge that I watch him every single week. I watch him wreak havoc and dominate every single game from the press box. I don't watch Miles Garrett every week. So, you know, it's it's sort of easy for me to uh, to use that and then say, oh, yeah, the numbers back me up on this too. How can this guy not be the defensive player of the year? I don't shout down anybody who has an argument for Garrett because I do think they're often based in, um, you know, stuff that goes beyond the traditional counting numbers. You know, the way that he didn't generate much in terms of the box score at the end of the season, that's cause for concern too. Um, but I would also keep in mind that, hey, the playoff game, these awards are regular season awards. You kind of have to throw that out. Yes, the Browns were bad in that one and he didn't do much. But, um, you know, Michael Parsons from the Cowboys, he was uh, third in the running. He also kind of took a flamethrower to people on Twitter last night and said, Miles Garrett had a better season than TJ Watt and has been the better player. You know, that's one of his peers saying that too. So it's it's not just dumb sports writers who are at this thing, which I, I usually bristle at. Uh, when these kind of things come up. So, um, yeah, it's it's hard for me to imagine anybody, you know, is more valuable to his defense than T.J. Watt. But, uh, I again, I don't know exactly what Miles Garrett does to uh, rip up offensive game plans that maybe T.J. doesn't. Um, it's, it's subjective. It really is. Um, you know, if you're going to sit here and just really pound the table by saying, stats don't lie, numbers don't lie, well, then I don't ever want to hear you make an argument that Troy Polamalu was a better safety than Ed Reed because Ed Reed has way more interceptions than Troy Polamalu. So that's just a slippery slope to go down. Um, people are always going to want to be mad about something. Steelers Nation's very protective of their little TJ Watt. And TJ mm-hmm. himself uh, seemed miffed about it too, considering he, uh, in his words, was playing hooky last night at the awards show which also meant he wasn't there for uh, teammate Cam Hayward to bring home the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, which I wish we would spend more time on because that's an honor that a Steelers player uh, won and was well-deserved and not one that a uh, Steelers player did not win. Hey, we'll, we'll get to that in a, in a minute. I don't think the, the safety comparison holds up because Polamalu and Reed, they line up. When you're when you're a safety, you line up on so many different positions. When you're an edge rusher, you line up on Miles the Garrett lines up in different gaps as well, Chris. So it's right. to, to me it, but, it can but, hold up. Okay, okay, but he's always at the line of scrimmage, and you have equal opportunity to create pressure for, at the line of scrimmage. TJ and, Watt drops more often than Miles Garrett. He gets interceptions by dropping into coverage because of his and he drops more often so. than Miles Garrett, and yet still gets better production against in 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 his pass rushing, which I think again goes toward the idea that he's more productive and he's a he's a better player at rushing the quarterback than Miles Garrett, which. If that's Miles Garrett's one quality and he doesn't have the other thing going for him, that kind of shows that I think that's another argument for TJ Watt in that conversation. But again, when you're talking about I'll use a different comparison. Let's do Ben Roethlisberger versus a whole bunch of quarterbacks that Steelers fans would say, no, Ben is way better than this guy. I mean, if you want to just go by passing yards, there's going to be people probably above him um, that your your died in the wool Steeler uh, supporters would say. 
I mean, no, uh, I, I think <laughs> name, name a quarterback and I'll, I'll run with you on that. Cause I, I think that there's plenty of quarterbacks that have, that have, you know, higher numbers than Ben Roethlisberger that are better than him or don't have higher numbers that, that number than him because of the, t- the eras that they played in. But I'm just, my, my point is, is that Drew Brees, the, I think a lot of Steelers fans think Ben was better than Drew Brees, but Drew Brees. I, yeah. I think that, I think there, yards, there's definitely so. an argument for Drew Brees in that, <laughs> in that, in that situation. Yeah. But again, it, my, my whole thing is it would be different if, Again, if Miles Garrett had one or two less sacks than than than, T, than TJ Watt, or if he had more t- tackles for loss, if he was clearly more impactful in the run game, and he wasn't, he didn't have more tackles. Um, and for anyone that wants to use double team rates and unblocked sacks or anything like that, Miles Garrett had just as many unblocked sacks this year as TJ Watt, according to Sports Information Systems. Um, and you know, and and, and they're describing there the double team rates weren't exactly as unbalanced as some people make them out to be. I, I think TJ Watt is. Is if you're looking at disruptiveness, if if you're trying to create some formula for that, I think TJ Watt is just as disruptive as Miles Garrett. He's just also more, a lot more productive than Miles Garrett. So if if we if I think that that's that's the route that that a conversation. If we go, if we stay objective there, that's the direction that it goes. And I, I don't see a logical reasoning for 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 Miles Garrett to to get the award other than you were tired of seeing Watts win it because J.J. Watt had won it three times and T.J. Watt had, had already won it once. Um, but I, just don't, like, I don't, I really don't buy into that. I don't know. I just don't think that. I mean, I don't have another reason. Like, but... again, like we've been told all the time, stats are what matter, production's what matter. And T.J. Watt even played on a defense that allowed less points than the Browns. So, you know, I even take out an account of the, the playoff loss that they lost by, they, they got, you know, 45 points dropped on them um, in, in that in that game, you know. I, I looked out throughout the regular season, TJ Watt, more sacks, more pressures, more, uh, you know, more tackles, more tackles for loss, more interceptions, more pass, more passes swatted at the line of scrimmage. I don't know if, if production isn't supposed to be what you're, what we measure guys by, then there can be a lot of subjectivity. You know, the, there was a person who voted Dexter Lawrence to be, you know, in the defensive player of the year running last night. And yeah, I don't understand how that's. Vote. So, <laughs> but uh, third place, I don't know, shouldn't be, shouldn't have been fifth place. Um, well, that's going to be the, the natural divide between the people who are like, oh, well, you're just a box score watcher and I'm over here devouring the film. I, like, I can't film watch all, here. I can't watch all 32 teams, you know, film wise. So, uh, I don't have a great feel for what Dexter Lawrence was doing that transcends the stat line. You know what I mean? But no, no, I, somebody I mean, out there is going to have uh, strong feelings about that. If, if film devourer here, uh, <laughs> No, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Uh, the, uh, you know, and the box score crushing the Giants either. tape, Chris. I mean, I watched, I watched <laughs> around the league, and I've I've seen Dexter Lawrence play this year, and, and I, I didn't watch every game that he played, but right, he wasn't better maybe, than. Maybe he got a vote from a Giants beat writer who does. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, so. maybe. My, my point is, is that there was a lot of that didn't 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 make much sense there, and uh, I think there's very little room for the argument for it, and it kind of brings in into question the objectivity of the of, of the voting system as it is right now um uh but like i said i wanted to get to the to the walter payton man uh man of the year award which cam hayward uh did win and this is a award how many years has he been nominated for this now so this is his sixth this nomination for a third year in a row i mean yeah. obviously he's been a powerhouse for the steelers in terms of his community uh commitment and everything he does off the field it hasn't even been close. They've had other nominees in recent years, Vance McDonald, Marquise Pouncey, but uh, but Cam's been the gold standard for quite some time now, for sure. Yeah, I mean he's he's been a guy who's been out there, and I think part of what helps Cam Hayward too is that 
he not only does the great community stuff, he's not only the great person and a great player, but like I think Cam Hayward is doing one of the best jobs of NFL players who are getting ready to transition out of their career into media. Not saying that Cam Hayward's done after this season, but you know, you look at like what uh, Jason Kelsey's been doing with his New Heights podcast with Travis. I mean, that that's like the gold standard. He has like the best podcast or the most listened to podcast in, in football right now, and he's crushing it. But Cam Hayward, you know, started his own show, and it doesn't like you know do booming numbers that break records or anything. But he needs Connor first- Hayward to start dating one of the preeminent pop stars in America, <laughs> and then I think that those views will shoot way up. Connor Hayward dates Dua Lipa, and then it all yes. just, it just blows up from there. Uh, but but in all seriousness, like uh, I I think that a big part of what helps Cam is that he does so much work to reach out into the community, both via his efforts and via media with his with his podcast, and also just being everywhere. Like you know, Cam Hayward's a guy that he you know we've given him the Chief Award, at, you know, as, as writers for what he's done with us because he's always open to talking. Cam Hayward was the first Steelers I've Steeler player I ever talked to after a loss, and it was after that Bears loss when Villanueva saluted and, and the Steelers were really ticked about that and losing in overtime. And like he was, and I saw how angry he was. And when I spoke to, spoke to him, I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be my, my first angry Steeler I've talked to in the locker room." And he handles it so professionally every time, win or lose. And I think that's where he's exemplified that. But also the work that he's done in the community. I, I think that he's he. This is a guy who's gone three extra miles. I mean, people say go to the extra miles. You could triple that, and that's kind of what Cam Hayward has done uh, over the years to be this guy and earn this award. Yeah, and it's it's just a cherry on top, too, that he's actually from here originally. was born in Pittsburgh. Uh, we know his dad, the late Ironhead Hayward, uh, mm-hmm. not from Pittsburgh, but played at Pitt, uh, was a star for the Panthers, uh, and, and married uh, Charlotte Hayward from Highland Park. So, I mean, it's it's just a, a cool story from that perspective for both him and the franchise, and I, f- I really feel like pretty much anybody in the community here can uh, can feel a sense of pride and accomplishment in cam and he's been an exemplary stealer for sure uh, not just for what he does uh, off the field but uh, you know you mentioned the you know sort of being the the nice guy all the time in the locker room too leadership and I'll just say on the field because that is a component of Walter Payton even though it wasn't his best season you know the guy always plays 110 percent that's probably contributing to some of his body breaking down at this point at age 34 but uh, it's hard to find a stealer who plays harder than he does chasing after the ball, um, you know, eating up, chasing eating up blocks. <laughs> yeah. Eating up blocks at the line of scrimmage. Uh, yeah. He, he just, uh, he does everything right in that regard for sure. I, I, it just, he's, he's exemplified. Like there's guys who I think you, you like a, a title called Mr. Steeler could apply to when you're the guy that carries Franco Harris's flag out of the locker room, the, 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 you know, just a couple of days after Franco Harris has passed away, like, you're you're forever locked in there. You know, I, I think it's gonna. This will be. This is an interesting question here. You know, the the Hall of Fame class was announced le- last night. Does Cam Hayward ever get in the Hall of Fame? Can't we just let him have his Walter Payton moment? <laughs> I mean, always got to spin it forward. And because I thought you were initially gonna go to like, well, here's an interesting question. Like, will Cam Hayward ever win a playoff game again, let alone a Super Bowl? Which that's not looking great either. I. I don't even really want to get into all that. Let's save that for an off-season show where we have nothing to talk about. I was just saying, we're talking about how great the guy is and how awesome he was for so many years. Would he get in that conversation? He's obviously going in a ring of honor. Let's bring it back up in, like, 
March or April instead of doing mock draft 73.6 or something like that. Buddy, we're going to do a mock draft 173.6, so you better get ready for that. But anyways, we got to switch topics. When we we come back, we'll talk about not just the Super Bowl, who's going to win, but what the Steelers can learn from some of these Super Bowl teams. That and more here on the North Shore Drive podcast from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Chris Carter, Brian Batko. We'll be right back. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Back here in the North Shore Drive podcast from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Chris Carter, Brian Batko, uh, talking to you Steelers here. So everyone's going to talk about, you know, who they think is going to win the, the Chiefs Niners. I think the Niners are favored by two and a half right now. Um, and uh, that that's all fine and good. But Brian had this idea of a topic, and I, and I thought this was a good one. What can the Steelers learn from either of these teams and how they how they play right now? And I think that's an interesting way to look at this because these are two teams that can – that 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 do several things really well right now. Like, you know, the um the Chiefs, for all of the talk that's gonna be about Patrick Mahomes, their defense is why they're why they're at the Super Bowl again this year. They were the number two defense all season long. Um they played very well and they were very good in in the in the playoffs. They were able to limit the Bills for a time to hold on to that lead. Um they were able to shut down the the Dolphins. They completely limited Lamar Jackson and the Ravens in a game that you know, a lot of people had the Ravens going in and, and, and doing what they had done all year long. Um, and you look how they're constructed. They have good corners, good athletic linebackers, a really tough defensive front. Um, they've done a lot of things right this, this, this year when it comes to that. And I, I wonder if is the biggest thing you want to take from the Chiefs, if you wanted to take one thing from the Chiefs and play it on the Steelers, is it how their defense comes together? Or is there something else that's still on the offense that intrigues you about how the Chiefs got here again? So it's kind of both. It's more about how they've been mm. built. I'm going to say late round picks matter. Day three draft picks matter. I mean, first of all, when is the last time the Steelers hit on a day three pick? I mean, Dan Moore Jr. has been a starter, and yet I don't know that a lot of people would consider that a hit. Kevin Dotson kind of similar, and they were both fourth rounders. Jury's out on Nick Herbig. We'll see. Calvin Austin, we'll see. The two most recent fourth round guys, but man, I mean, you look at the Chiefs, Chris, Trey Smith, who's been on their offensive line starting for the last three years, he was a six round guy out of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Isaiah Pacheco was a seventh round pick. Um, Jalen Watson plays a lot for them at corner, seventh round pick. Like if I'm the Steelers, just we got to stop throwing away these kind of end of the draft. Uh, and obviously no one's trying to do that. You're not trying to misevaluate a player or, you know, not develop somebody. But I think too often it, you just get stuck in this mindset of like, yeah, why not? Chris Oladokin, who cares? Mm. It's the second, seventh round pick. Probably won't make the team anyway. Just look at what the Chiefs are doing to sort of get contributions from people who are on not just rookie contracts, but cheap rookie contracts. I think that matters. I think that can help you get over the top in the NFL. And obviously it's all kind of window dressing when you have Mahomes at quarterback, but these guys are contributing to winning in a way that, 
uh, Steelers day three uh, draft choices simply have not been in recent years. I think it's a very interesting point there about that because, you know, the Steelers have had smaller contributions from guys like Trey Nord brought help on special teams, but he wasn't, you know, bigly impactful the way that Isaiah Pacheco had been. Um, you know, they tried to get Presley Harvin, you know, at punter. If Presley Harvin's a better punter, not that that wins you a whole bunch more games or anything like that, but it at least protects this offense that had been struggling a little bit more. They, they've missed there. Kevin Dotson was the one player who I think you could say, like, hey, talent-wise, they got, they found something there. They just didn't make it work on their own roster, and now they have a, an extra draft pick because of him but it's also a day three draft pick which they still have to hit on and yeah you're right Do they have an extra pick or they just got an earlier pick with they that? got an earlier pick that's right, right. but they switched they switched it into like a you know they now have two back-to-back fourth round swaps. picks yeah yeah um but point being they, they they now have a fourth round two fourth round picks at their disposal this year to have a better rate at that um and when you look at it they only last year they only had three day three picks they had a fourth and two sevenths and you know like you said we still got to see how Nick Herbert develops he certainly for a rookie who you know played as few snaps as he did he was very productive in those snaps um and Corey Trice you know got injured before the season even started Uh, you know I'd say Connor Hayward's doing well for a third string tight end right now you know but again we're talking about guys who are starting and helping you win games right now in more than just a couple plays here and there and that is something where the Steelers could uh could could kind of take from the Chiefs and say hey let's start hitting on these and also I'll say this you know this is also just the second year where Omar Khan and his staff will have to draft guys and last year all he had was one fourth and two sevenths in the day in the day three picks I do think it'll be interesting uh to see how they use them this year uh, compared to you know how they how they didn't years before, like you said, Oladokun and guys like that that that, that didn't work out. Um, let's talk about the Niners real quick. What have they done that has impressed you the most this year? Because their defense has a ton of big names on it, and they weren't as productive they weren't as as, as productive on, as a defense as as the Chiefs were this year. Instead, I think it was their offense that truly impressed me, and I think their offense is a lot closer to what the Steelers want to do with their offense than the Chiefs and what they do. So I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction for this one too, because again, it would be easy to say, yeah, you should go find an all pro quarterback in the, a pro bowl quarterback with the last pick of the draft. Every team should do that. uh, If you can handle that, uh, like Brock Purdy. Um, But no, I'm going to say just looking at the Chiefs and kind of how they, or excuse me, the Niners and how they operate. I was counting this up today, Chris, I think the Steelers had 19 uh, coaches on their staff last season, including Matt Canada. So that dropped by one after he got fired midseason. Unless I'm missing something with uh, some of these people's uh, roles during games and whatnot and titles, the 49ers have 28, 28 coaches. They've got, uh, and, and Kyle Shanahan's kind of an interesting case because he's the de facto offensive coordinator. They don't even have one of those in, in title, but you know, they've got the pass game coordinator, Clint Kubiak, who's now uh, going over to the Saints to be their OC. They've got, you know, O-line coach, assistant O-line coach, running back coach, assistant running back. Like up and down the line, they've got multiple coaches at each position. They've got in-game strategy type of people. Um, they have a Nichols coach who also does special teams assisting. So, like, they've really just – they've got that robust staff that – I think it it gives you more eyes on problems to help find solutions. And we've talked about this plenty of times. We think the Steelers need to get with the modern ages a little bit in terms of paying more people to do more work for your football team as coaches. And I don't know that we're going to see that this offseason, but 
Uh, one team that I would point to right now that's going to be playing for the Lombardi Trophy on Sunday would be the 49ers, who they have arguably the best head coach in the game right now in Shanahan because of what he does offensively. But he's not saying, oh, I only need uh, 13 or 14 assistants because I'm so good. No, they've got a whole bunch of people out there to round that out and you know do all sorts of different tasks and, and stuff that's probably way beyond our comprehension in terms of looking at what NFL assistants do. What's the saying? I think it's like too many chefs in the kitchen spoil the soup or something like that. Too many cooks, yeah. Too many cooks in the kitchen. So that's been a classic saying. I think Tomlin has even said that maybe, or maybe he just said too many voices. So I I know that Pat Narduzzi has said that. I I, I didn't know if if Mike Tomlin had said that. But I I feel like, like you're right. Like in today's NFL, you want more eyes on things. There's so many things to analyze. And the Steelers are like, hey, we use analytics. We just don't use it in the way that maybe some other people use it. And maybe they could use additional sets of eyes and ears in things. Look what Brian Flores did with, for their defense. And I know that Brian Flores is kind of an extreme example <clears throat> there because of his, his experience and everything. But, you know, Mike Vrabel, I think, is still floating out there. What, you know, what could he bring to the table if you brought him in just as an extra assistant? What could more guys from college, like, you know, guys like Tom Arth, who was brought up to the NFL level um, to be a pass game specialist for the Chargers, you know, what if the Steelers brought in some of those innovative thought, you know, hires of guys like, hey, I like their system. I liked how they handled things in the college with this, with this level of offense. Let's bring him in, get him used to the NFL and see if we like it. If we don't, we move on and get another guy in the future years. But I think that's another way in how people build coaching staffs is finding those guys who are you know are using these positions that they kind of create to bolster their staff instead of just hiring for every position coach kind of way the Steelers have kept over the years yeah and the the Niners are also a good example of coaching trees you know it's not insignificant I always tell people when they bring up Tomlin's lack of one it's like what would you rather have playoff wins or you know coaches getting promoted at, at different franchises but I mean the Niners have been churning out a whole bunch of dudes over these last few cycles, Mike McDaniel going from um, whatever his role was there again, not offensive coordinator because that's Shanahan's thing, but he goes to the dolphins um, that, you know, Robert Sala goes from their defensive coordinator to the jets head coach. And I think their current DC Steve Wilkes was in the mix for some jobs again this year. Um, you know, we'll see Kubiak will go to the saints as their offensive coordinator Um, You know, those are things that just organically happen, I think, when you have more positions for coaches, whether it's, again, you know, assistant wide receivers coach, which the Steelers don't have, assistant special teams, assistant, you know, running backs, uh, or just quality control entry level stuff for young guys who might have, um, you know, bright football minds and a a hunger to help out whatever team employs them. So, um, again, you know, I always say it's not my money. I'm not the ones paying these guys. It is different from... Pat Narduzzi at Pitt to Tomlin with the Steelers in college. You can only have so many uh, on-field coaches. That staff is capped in the NFL. Go wild. Have as many as you want. Uh, We know the Steelers are consistently on the lower end of that. I would assume that the Niners are consistently on the higher end of that, though I haven't counted every team's staffers. But, uh, you know, they've got a lot of them, and they've been having a lot of success for sure. I'm right with you there on that. I think that that's certainly a change we have. And we'll see if it is a change because the Steelers still could add more to their coaching staff. Will they? 
Stick with us at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. We'll keep you updated all, all throughout the offseason. Uh, post-Gazette.com for all the written work that we have. And fi- follow us here on the North Shore Drive podcast from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Chris Carter, Brian Backo. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. We're back Monday with our thoughts here. Uh, you know, maybe a little bit of post-Super Bowl thoughts. I got to get on the road for uh, for Pitt versus Virginia and a huge basketball game that could, you know, determine their Go to Charlottesville, Chris? Going to Charlottesville with Noah. Noah and uh, I are hitting I love the road. Charlottesville. Have you been there? Uh, uh, no, this will be my first time. I will, I'll hit you up with some recommendations. That's one of my favorite ACC college towns for sure. Ooh, I'm, I'm liking it. We're, we're going a day early, so we'll have some time that, uh, on Monday evening. Are you a history guy? Are you going to go to Monticello? I, I was thinking about it. It's I actually do. really cool. Okay. All right. Yeah. If you have time. We, we, I don't know. We, we're gonna we're gonna talk it out but i'm going with my boy no noah's a party animal man so noah might be taking us to all the clubs he doesn't doesn't want to see thomas jefferson's uh old virginia it's funny when i went there covering pit um it was a pit football game one of the first people i see who is taking like the little golf cart up uh to the house paul zeiss i would get out of here i would not have thought but paul contains multitudes so um (laughs) I, i wonder what he and the tour guide we're talking about at Monticello. Well, we'll, 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 I'll find out when I'm in Charlottesville. But he's Brian Batgum, Chris Carter. Thanks again for tuning in for the North Shore Drive podcast. Back Monday with our post-Super Bowl thoughts here on the North Shore Drive podcast. We'll see you then right on your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. For all of the sports coverage the Post-Gazette has to offer, visit post-gazette.com.